Welcome to another episode of the Cook, Eat, Nourish podcast with me, Fiona Staunton of Fiona's Food for Life. I'm loving all the feedback and hope you are all enjoying these podcasts. And I really would be grateful if you would write a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps other people find it. Today's episode is with Jackie Lynch, nutritionist and author of The Happy Menopause. I hope you enjoy today's episode. So, Jackie, welcome to my podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to my audience, please? Sure. Hi, Fiona. Thanks very much for having me. So I'm Jackie Lynch. I am a registered nutritional therapist and I specialize in women's health and the menopause. So in my nutrition clinic, I'm looking to support women who are trying to take a nutritional and a lifestyle approach to managing their symptoms. And I'm all about enjoying good food. So I think you and I have probably got a lot in common (laughs) because I do feel passionately about the joy of food and the fact that you you can eat well and it can still taste really nice. It doesn't have to be miserable times with, well, nothing wrong with mung beans, but there is this sense that, oh, you know, it's all got to be a bit joyless and it doesn't have to be. Exactly, exactly. Fantastic. And so you have written uh, your latest book. I think you have two other books is called The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish. I love the title. Thank you. Um, so would you like to talk to us? I suppose sometimes people ask, well, it's, it's menopause. I just eat, you know, there's nothing special I need to eat. Could you just maybe give us a, a bit of a, a background information as to what is best for a woman in perimenopause and menopause to eat? Well, I think, first of all, it's just really important to understand and recognize the role that, that food plays. I mean, we are, we're made of food, you know, we, um, everything we eat is used by the body in some way, shape or form to create a series of chain reactions that will support the different body uh, systems, whether it's the respiratory system, the immune system, the digestive system, the brain and central nervous system, just like a car. You know, if you don't put really good petrol in your car or or, Mm. or the relevant fuel, whatever your vehicle is, um, then it's not going to work as well, is it? And I think sometimes we lose sight of that because... Although, of course, most of us you know, know we should eat more vegetables and should do this, that and the other. Do we actually do it? That's the question. And I think that women in midlife are really overwhelmed with with life. If they've got children, they'll probably be grappling with the, the fabulous clash of the hormones in the household where menopause meets puberty. Or maybe it's the empty nest syndrome. Maybe they're worrying about or trying to support elderly relatives. Pressure at work, relationship worries. Um, money worries, health worries, the state of the world worries, heaven knows there's a lot of that. Um, And I think all of that can prove a massive distraction to looking after yourself. So making sure that you're getting the basics right is the first thing I really focus on when it comes to managing your perimenopause and your menopause. Because make no mistake about it, uh, diet can make a huge difference to you and the way you transition through this phase. Perfect. And I think we could probably add into that looking after aging parents for many of us is is an, another stress to, to add into the whole mix. So, yeah, getting the basics right. I love it. So what would your guide be on? What are the basics according to, you know, your information? Well, I think, first of all, let's look at the macronutrients. So that is the, the proteins, the fats and the carbohydrates, because they do often get a bit of a bad press. I mean, 
we're the generation who are brought up on the whole low fat thing. So many of my patients are still saying, oh, you know, I don't need to have a cardo or nuts because, you know, they're fattening. And you have to start drilling down into that and just looking at what does fat actually do? What does the body do with our macronutrients? Well, the first thing that the body does with fat is not to convert it into fat tissue, um, adipose tissue, as it's known officially. Um, it uses saturated fat, for example, to make sex hormones. And if ever there was a time in our lives when we needed our sex hormones, well, perimenopause and menopause is it. You know, the would <laughs> die out if we didn't have our saturated fats and our sex hormones. Um, we need essential fatty acids, things like omega-3 and omega-6 to support hormone health, heart health, brain health. So, and the great thing about foods that contain fat is, is, as you'll know, is that they're satisfying. Not only do they taste delicious because fat has flavor, but they fill you up. So you're much less likely then to have the munchies later and go looking for something that isn't going to give you anything. You know, the, the bar of chocolate, the bit of cake around the office or whatever. So I think, first of all, you know, let's not demonize fats. And of course, the latest kid on the block is low carb. You know, we're, mm -hmm. all, we're all about low carb. So, OK, yeah, we do know. And generally speaking, an excess of carbohydrate, the body will convert to fat cells more quickly. So we need to think more carefully about the, the type of carbohydrate we're putting in our cells. But let's not forget that fruit and vegetables are carbohydrates, too. Um, pulses, lentils, chickpeas, beans contain good amounts of carbohydrate. And if you're having complex carbohydrate, which is rich in fiber, then that's going to support your digestion and your absorption of nutrients so that you feel better and your body can actually benefit from what you're eating. Um, fiber, of course, binds to old hormones in the gut and makes sure that they're excreted rather than reabsorbing through uh, into the bloodstream and causing more of an imbalance, which, of course, is a key consideration during perimenopause. Um, we know that uh, good levels of fiber can support the immune system in the gut and keep us fit and well. So we need to be thinking not so much refined sugar and white bread and all that kind of thing. We need to be thinking brown bread, brown rice, brown pasta, vegetables, those kind of things that are still great sources of carbohydrate, which is our primary source of energy. If you're feeling a bit tired, you've been stripping out the carbs, start to think about getting the balance right. And then protein is queen in this. Women don't get enough protein and it drives me mad. Men seem to have a really instinctive notion about mm -hmm. what I need for my muscles and great because they do, but you need it for lots of things. The entire human body is made of protein. So our DNA, everybody's cell relies on protein for growth and repair. So if you're recovering from illness or injury, for example, then straight away you need to get more protein. But we, we need protein for strong bones because our bones are made of protein. Our muscles require protein. And you can lose up to 40% of muscle mass by the time you've gone through the menopause if you're not working hard on getting resistance training. Um, we need protein. If I still haven't convinced anyone, well, we need it because our skin, our hair, our nails are made of protein. And lots of those can start getting a bit thin around menopause. It's easy to blame the estrogen, but are you actually giving your body the tools to do the job? Because the reality is that if you're not getting enough protein in your diet, the body's job is to keep us alive. So it will prioritize our vital organs and it will send it to the lungs, the heart, the liver, not to the skin, the hair, the nails. And then, of course, the amino acids found in protein-rich foods are um, used by the body to create key neurotransmitters that regulate things like mood and memory and motivation and concentration. So those are often are key considerations, again, for women in midlife. So getting the right balance of the proteins, the fats and the carbs is the very first thing I think about.
Fantastic. That is, I love the way you've explained it so well. So um, thank you very much. You made it really easy to understand there. Do you worry about um, the proportions or the, the grams of protein or how does one know that they're getting the right amount of, of any of those macros? Yeah, great question. I mean, I just don't believe in weighing food. Life is frankly too short and we could all get massively hung up on that. So I tend to operate on the fist size. Um, if you think about your plate divided into quarters um, for your evening meal, say, then one quarter, one fist size is protein. So that's about the size of a salmon steak, a chicken breast, a couple of dollops of hummus, whatever your source of protein might be. And then if you're having starch like um, rice or pasta or potatoes, again, it doesn't need to be more than um, a fist size, a quarter. Most of us get that wrong. That's where a lot of it comes in into it. Lots of women come to see me and they say, well, you know, I have a really healthy diet. And I think, oh, well, I'll be the judge of that. And then I look at their food diet and I think, oh, well, fair enough. Actually, they do. But there's just too much of it. And that's why they're struggling because the metabolism starts to slow down. So even if you're going to the gym for an hour every day, that's not enough to warrant more than a quarter of starch on that plate, which leaves half the plate for all the lovely vegetables. I would want quarter of leafy greens, so spinach, rocket, kale, watercress, cabbage, broccoli, that kind of thing. And then the other one, any other colour you like. So you've got your four quarters, four fist sizes. That, without having to think about it or get obsessive about it, means your portions are about right. And the great thing is that you don't need to think, oh, am I getting enough zinc or am I getting enough fat? Because foods that contain protein contain fat. Um, if you're getting that balance of vegetables, don't worry about it. Your zinc's going to be there. So we can just relax and enjoy our food without becoming you know, too prescriptive about it, which I think is always going to be counterproductive. Great. And I think over the years, plates have got bigger. So the, the fist, so we're talking about a closed, clenched up fist. Yeah. And we're talking about one of those for the protein, one for the carbohydrate, and then two of those for the vegetables. That's right. There's some research out there, you've probably seen it, that um, in the last, uh, oh, I think since about the 1950s or 60s, our mm. plate size has increased by about 30%. I know. And I know when I was going through my kitchen cupboards, like um, my dinner plates are now massive and I compare them to a dinner set that my mum gave me when I moved into my first flat when I, about 1990. And those dinner plates look like tea plates now. Things have really changed. It is. It's. It's. I, I know that myself because I say, or coming to you, I will be the type that I'd say, no, no, I am eating a really, really healthy diet, but I've had to pull back on the portions because it's just so easy to to overeat and then I think as well sometimes I forget that okay well I don't need the same size portion as my husband I'm not as big as he you know and it's it is a hard one to get but I think that the clenched fist and the plate uh divided up that that is definitely something practical that that people can apply for themselves yeah okay so we've looked at our macros how about um let's look at the micronutrients then yeah, I mean, we need them all <laughs> is the short answer. But I suppose if I had to hand pick a few that are really crucial in menopause, um, I would uh, out of the vitamins, I'd say B vitamins, vitamin C and vitamin D are pretty non-negotiable. And on the minerals, I would say that magnesium is every menopause a woman's best friend. And you'd be mad not to be having plenty of magnesium. Uh, calcium, of course, for bones. Um, they'd probably be the two big ones that I'd pick out. But the great thing about doing my plate is that 
aside from vitamin D, you don't really have to think too hard because it will all sort of be there. Yeah. And so the vitamin D is mainly the sunshine vitamin that, that we're going to get and it'll help with the calcium absorption. Um, and it's in a few foods. Is it the dark leafy greens? Is that right? Not so much. And, and I think people okay. must sort of move away from that, really, because things like egg yolk and oily fish contain some vitamin D. And uh, in fact, the best source of vitamin D uh, is liver. But you'd actually have to eat copious amounts of liver every single day to get anywhere near the amount you need. So I think we should sort of lose the idea we can really get it from food, because to be honest, although it's called a vitamin, vitamin D is we now believe it's it's a hormone, really. It behaves a lot more like a hormone. It's so important to our health and well-being that Mother Nature hasn't left it up to us and our erratic diets to um, get it. We we get it through exposure to sunlight. But there's a there's a problem there now, of course because we're all wearing sunscreen and mm. that does affect the uvb rays ability um to pro to, to get absorbed correctly and to activate the melanin in the skin which helps us produce vitamin d which is why although i know lots of people don't like the idea of supplementing the one thing if you're not supplementing anything else vitamin d for me is an absolute non-negotiable and certainly by about now i mean we're, we're chatting in march in the uk uh, 80% of the UK population are um, deficient in vitamin D by March. And we're feeling it. You know, people are coming down with coughs and colds. They're feeling low, you know, struggling with sort of the, the tail end of winter blues. Um, so we should certainly be looking at that. Okay. So thank you. That is our macros and our micros. What are your thoughts on the role of stress in menopause? Well, stress really is the enemy of the menopause because you see, how the more stressed you are, the worse your symptoms are going to be. Stress directly interferes with the body's plan B because we weren't abandoned to the menopause. You know, of course we weren't. Mother Nature was always going to have a cunning plan. The human body is a super top high performance machine and there's loads of backup plans for everything. And the menopause backup plan is that as the ovaries start to reduce their production of estrogen, the adrenal glands take over and they produce a weak form of estrogen post-menopause to keep us fit and well. But trouble is, the adrenal glands also produce our stress response. And we've talked about midlife already. It's a really stressful time for women. Now, the, what's going on here, of course, is that every time we produce our stress hormones, our cortisol and our adrenaline, the body will create the fight or flight response because it's a life-saving response, our stress response. And so naturally, because it's our body's job to keep us alive, it will prioritize the production of adrenaline and cortisol over the production of estrogen. So the more stressed you are, the less chance your adrenal glands have to produce that little bit of estrogen that could be just enough to top you up um, after, you know, post-menopause. So I, I really encourage people to think hard about what can they do to regulate stress in their lives? Now, there are certain things that only the individual can do. Only you can look at your diary and start to think, I'm going to dare to say no. I need to plan more time for me. Actually, do you know what? The kids are teenagers. I can have an hour in the bath. You know, they're not they're going to be all right. You're just getting some me time and then focusing on the foods that are stress busting. So for me, of course, blood sugar balance uh, in the way that I've described that plate is really important because each time your blood sugar crashes, out comes more stress hormones. So that combination of protein and complex carbohydrate and fiber with every meal and snack will keep the blood sugar steady, stop you producing more stress hormones than you're already doing. 
And then back to the micronutrients. I mentioned B vitamins and vitamin C earlier. Well, they support the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands feeds off these lovely vitamins. And so making sure that you're getting plenty of those. Now, for the most part, B vitamins are found in small amounts in most foods. And if you're following my plate, that'll work. But vitamin B12 is only found in animal foods. So people who are following a largely vegan or plant-based diet do run the risk of being deficient and they will feel exhausted and they'll feel also mental health and cognitive issues because b12 deficiency can affect our brain function um, memory concentration and also lead to low mood and depression uh, and then of course vitamin c is found in loads of vegetables so having four different veg a day again back into your territory getting those vegetables in could make a big difference but this for me is where magnesium's big because it's nature's karma. It really helps to calm the nervous system, regulate the body's response to stress and help you feel better equipped to cope with the challenges of daily life. So leafy green vegetables, again, you know, I, I know I'm going around in circles, but with nutrition, it's like that. Everything is yeah. one big network and it all connects. So if you're having two or three handfuls of leafy greens every day, you're really boosting your magnesium. Great. I love it. Magnesium, nature's karma and stress, the enemy of menopause. Love it. <laughs> um, so talk to me about the importance, which, which I would be uh, fully supporting, the importance of empowering women to help themselves in, in menopause. And I think that's really what what you have done in your book. And, and for those uh, listening to the audio um, in the book, there's lots of um, kind of rectangular shapes that are in different shades of bold so that you can literally flip through it and get some tips. Like here I have uh, two handfuls of leafy green vegetables. <laughs> I chose the one back <laughs> leafy green um, every day to give yourself a magnesium boost. I just happened to open that page. Um, but there's lots of lovely little lifestyle tips and uh, like eat sardines twice a week for cereal calcium boost and a top up of vitamin d so you've lots of really nice um quick access so you can kind of pick it up and, and just refresh your mind but would you like to tell me in your own words about the importance that you feel of empowering women in menopause well i did want to make it a pick and mix book because women are busy and although it's not a, a massive tome or an encyclopedia or anything you know just being able to skip straight to the headache chapter or the hot flush chapter just is a lot easier than thinking, oh, crikey, you know, I've got to read this whole book and I don't have time. So I think making it easy is really important. I find that I can I continue, I think, to be really shocked about the lack of information there is around menopause. It's become sort of relatively fashionable in the last couple of years. And that's a good thing. You know, celebrities are talking about it. So we're, 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 it's coming out of the closet a bit. But the reality is that most women are far too busy and at the end of the day, someone said this to me recently, actually, you know, when you've had um, a really uh, you know, rough day, the last thing you want to do is sit down and watch a documentary on menopause. You want to sit down and watch Coronation Street and that, or whatever. And that's exactly right. So I think making the information available to women, you know, when you think about schools, there's tons of sex ed. Anyone who becomes pregnant, uh, they are bombarded with information. And yet... Every woman goes through menopause, but not every woman gets pregnant. And somehow this information isn't there. So I feel really strongly that women need to be empowered to get that information, to, to see what there is, not just what they can do from a diet and lifestyle perspective, but also to understand what the, the medical options are with the hormone replacement therapy, because every woman has a different journey. And you cannot assume that 
you can manage without that. Perhaps you're one of the 20% who has a really bad time and you would benefit from getting a hormone replacement therapy. So you shouldn't beat yourself up. You should think, well, let me go and find out and find out what's right for me. Equally, women who um, don't choose to take HRT or perhaps because of their own personal medical history can't take HRT, um, then you know, they need to be really sort of um, empowered to look at the diet and lifestyle options that can really fundamentally help them. So I think the first thing to do is, is get the information and to make sure that you've got everything you need and then you can decide what's right for you and not just do what your sister did or your best friend because every woman has a totally different experience. So it's important that I think the information's there for them. And even for the people supporting the women, the, yeah. the partners or in some cases, you know, the older teenage children it depends I was at an event yesterday and somebody was there purely to to learn information to help their mother yeah. so I think it's um the other people as they say over 50 percent of the population go through um menopause but a lot more of the population are affected by it so I think it's 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 getting out there now which is great the conversation is out there and, and people are um knowing about it so if I could delve into one or two of the symptoms and what foods you would recommend for that would that be okay of course great so let's do nails brittle nails I often get people saying that their nails just aren't as strong as they used to be what type of foods would you suggest for that okay well I touched on it a bit earlier but remember our, our nails are made of a strong protein called keratin so are you eating protein with every meal and every snack because if there's not enough protein left over to deal with your nails it'll go to your heart it'll go to your liver and there'll be no luck there um, if you're prone to having white um, marks on your fingernails that can often be a sign of a deficiency in zinc so are you getting enough zinc are you eating enough vegetables what's going on there um <clears throat> Uh, stress can deplete zinc. So, you know, do you need to ease back a little bit? Um, you can get sort of hair and nail formulas that have various uh, compounds in there. But I often find that women who are taking some kind of bone complex that includes calcium often find the strength of their nails improves as well. So maybe start to think about more of a calcium rich diet. And, you know, milk is not the only game in town. Leafy greens <laughs> contain twice as much calcium per 100 grams as milk and sardines five times as much. Uh, as anything else actually so start to sort of think you know calcium in milk is great for kids because you know it's quick and easy but we're grown-ups we can eat our greens yeah and I love the sardines because I just think the omega-3 the oily fish the bones everything it's inexpensive it's in a tin you can have it ready to go I just think yeah. they're underrated really totally um okay so that's fantastic we've done nails another one let's look at anxiety well, that's a big one. And um, I think, first of all, you, you need to allow yourself the feeling anxious. That's OK. You know, it, it can come as a bit of a surprise to some women, because, of course, often with the fluctuation of progesterone, uh, which is the first hormone to start mucking about in the early 40s, then that is the one that targets the emotional, cognitive, psychological symptoms and can lead to issues like anxiety or brain fog or mood swings. And if your periods are still regular, why would you think it's the menopause if you're only 42? Um, so a lot of women get tripped up on that and, and often end up being inappropriately prescribed antidepressants when perhaps the hormonal approach might be um, more effective. So I think, first of all, go back to my basics, get your macros right. You know, are you giving your body the 
the protein to create the neurotransmitters that would regulate your mood? Are you making sure your blood sugar is balanced so that you're not crashing down and producing more uh, stress hormones? Magnesium is a big one here. In fact, one of my favorite tricks is an Epsom salts bath. Um, Epsom salts are magnesium sulfate. So two or three handfuls in the bath or a foot bath, if you don't like baths or don't have a bath, um, the magnesium absorbs through the skin, um, really calms everything down, makes you feel like a whole new woman. So I think magnesium can be a, a big help there. But don't hesitate to go and get some help and chat to your doctor as well, because if this is you know something that's starting to cause you, you know, real concern, then you must make sure that you get all the help you need. Okay. Great. And let's do one more. How about um, brain fog? As she says, trying to think what I was going to ask you. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's in the same family, really. It's in the same family as the, the progesterone um, uh, uh, sort of issues around anxiety. So again, I'd be looking at getting plenty of protein, but also maybe you need to go to your doctor and let's have a little look at um, some key deficiencies. So brain fog is a classic symptom of, of vitamin B12 deficiency. And more and more people are following either a vegan or a more heavily plant-based diet. And so therefore might not be accessing enough of the B12 because it's only found in animal foods. Um, maybe you need a vitamin B12 supplement. Some women actually can't absorb B12 correctly and end up having to have B12 injections uh, once a quarter. So checking that out, checking out whether or not you've got an under active thyroid again that's very common and annoyingly the symptoms of underactive thyroid uh mirror the symptoms of the menopause a lot you know the fatigue the weight gain the brain fog and the anxiety so making sure you're, you're sort of ruling out the obvious suspects are going to be really important and then start to look at things you know lifestyle things are you drinking too much coffee just because you could always get away with that much coffee doesn't mean you can now because our ability to metabolize it in the liver really changes and specifically during the menopause because it's such a, a physiological transition for the body and too much caffeine can make you really jittery um thinking about alcohol well alcohol is a big sleep disruptor if you haven't had enough sleep then your brain's not going to be functioning the next day and you are going to be worrying about um brain fog so i think really just making sure that you're looking after yourself and not overloading yourself uh is, is really really important Fantastic. Wow. You've given so much information and, and really good place. So hopefully when people are listening to it, they it can get them thinking lots of food for thought and um, thinking about what's going on in their own bodies. And, and maybe it's, you know, it's, it's something else, but just having a look at what's going on and checking in on their, their macros and everything. Lots of really good information there. And you also have on your website, the well, well, well.co.uk. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. And I will have the link in the show notes below. You also have a podcast and I noticed there you have, is it the menopause minute you have? Yeah, I have a little series of videos called the Menopause Minute because, well, as I've said earlier, menopausal women are busy. So you could, but you can listen to me for thirty seconds on bloating or brain fog or hot flushes, Brilliant. and get a few little tips there. Great. So yeah, because I just saw them before we were coming um, on to record this. So that's fantastic to know that that resource is there, and I can put the link. Uh, well, you get the link to your your book through your website anyway. Um, one of the questions that I always like to ask my guests is it's a cook, eat, nourish podcast. So you can you give us three tips to help improve the health of the nation? OK, well, um, eat four different vegetables every day. Uh, that's just going to cover a multitude of, of different things and really support you. Uh, 
Eat, I've said it before, but I'll repeat it because it's so important. Eat protein with every meal and snack. Yep. And eat mindfully. You know, we just shovel stuff down, um, particularly in the morning, probably running around the kitchen, getting everyone else ready and shoving something down. Well, that's not great. First of all, digestion starts in the mouth. So um, we release enzymes that, that break down carbohydrates, for example, in our saliva as we chew our food. Uh, we also release enzymes that activate the satiety response, which lets us know when we're full. So the quicker we eat, um, the more we're going to eat because the body hasn't had time to catch up. So take the time to sort of sit down, savor your meal, put it on a plate. Don't be watching the TV at the same time. Just um, if you're if you're a really quick eater, I challenge you to be the last to finish. Um, and just that's the challenge I love to take. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to chew your food 32 times or whatever they say on the internet, but you do need to make sure that you're not swallowing large lumps of unchewed food because you you will end up overeating because of the satiety response not being activated, and you're also going to get bloated and, and sort of struggle with issues with indigestion, which again can become more common in midlife. So you know, there's no teeth in your stomach. Don't expect your stomach to do the job of your mouth. Just take the time to enjoy calm down, step away from your desk and eat. Um, your, your body will really thank you for it. There's also some very interesting research about imprinting memories of what we've eaten. Because if the brain can't remember eating lunch, then it's going to stimulate the appetite hormones. And by three o'clock, you'll be starving. Um, so, and it will only do it if it's taken a picture of that. Much in the same way as when you rush in from work and dump your keys, and you didn't pay attention as to where you put them, and then it takes half an hour to find them. Whereas if you come in and you remember putting them on the whole table, your body will your brain will take a photograph of that. So that's where they are. It will take a photograph of the meal. It will remember the meal, and therefore it will keep you fuller for longer. And again, because weight management can be a key concern in midlife, I think eating mindfully can help on a really a multitude of of aspects. Great. That's, yeah, lots of really good information there. Uh, and I think, yeah, a few I could work on. But I, li I like that the your three tips are nice and applicable to everyone. So eat four veg a day. Second one is eat protein with every snack and meal. And third one is eat mindfully. Yeah. And can I ask you one last question, please? And then if you have anything else you can add, you can go for it. Um, phytoestrogens. What is your two cent worth on, on phytoestrogens? Oh, you see, I was expecting you to say hot flushes but you said brain fog because I was already with my phytoestrogens <laughs> so phytoestrogens are plant compounds that mimic the action of estrogen in the body and influence our estrogen receptors and there is some research that suggests they can really help with issues around hot flushes and night sweats um, they fall into two categories you've got the um, isoflavones found in soya and it's thought that the historically um, uh, rich diet in fermented soya for women uh, in Asia, following that traditional diet um, is the reason for their much lower uh, symptoms of menopause. So I would be, you know, if, if you're interested in that, looking at going to the real deal, don't look at like the soya milk and yogurt. We've looked at this and thought, oh, this looks good. Let's turn it into milk. But it's processed, so it's not going to be as nutritious. The plant compounds aren't going to be as effective as they would be if you were having miso or tempeh or natto, for example. And in the... Um, 
In the Western diet, it's lignans, and probably the biggest source would be flaxseed. So I often recommend to people a couple of tablespoons of ground flaxseed in a smoothie or over their um, breakfast cereal or porridge in the morning. Because again, although the research is a little bit mixed, uh, there's so much that's good in it already in the terms of protein, fiber, and omega-3, um, that if on top of that it helps with your hot flushes, then it's got to be a win-win. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, personally, I'm I'm a big fan of them now since um since my induced menopause. But yeah, now was there anything else uh, you wanted to 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 mention, Jackie? I think we've covered so much. We have. Um, I, I think I think probably the last thing I'd say really is just to be kind to yourself because this is your time, and the kinder you are to yourself now, the better it will be. You know, when we went through puberty, which wasn't as long. And we had a mum, well, most of us had a mum looking after us. We don't have that now. And we're still very busy looking after everyone else except ourselves. And I do think that, you know, if to get through menopause really effectively, you need to put self-care first. And you know what? A little bit of selfishness won't hurt. You know, you can go out. Don't just think, oh, I'll go for a walk because it's good for everybody to get out. Think, I'll go for a walk on my own. And just clear my head a bit, you know. So what if they stay and sit in front of the PlayStation for an hour? It's not the end of the world. So start to think about putting your health and well-being first. And that won't come naturally because women are hardwired to nurture. But think about it this way if you struggle. If you're good, they're good. If everything falls apart and you collapse, then the entire world around you will collapse because people are relying on you so you know if you don't do it for yourself do it for them really be kind to yourself because the more kind you are to yourself the better you'll get through the menopause great I love that advice and and one of the things yeah I I didn't find it easy to put myself first but Mm -hmm. one of the things that I've started doing is each day trying to go for a walk now I've got a very elderly dog so it's a very short walk (laughs) but without any device so Great. that I am totally switched off and I'm just looking at the trees and the sky and whatever else. Nobody can contact me and I can't take it out to suddenly send a message or do whatever. And I just find it helps. So it's it's only a 10, 15 minute walk a day, but it just means I'm consciously saying, no, I'm going to leave the phone there. No headphones, no podcast, nothing. And I'm just going to go and, and be with nature in the day. I love that. I think that's absolutely bang on. Super. So thank you so much, Jackie. And we will pop all of your details in the show notes below. Brilliant. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast on Cook, Eat, Nourish with me, Fiona Staunton of Fiona's Food for Life. I'd really appreciate if you would subscribe, rate and review the podcast to help spread the word. And if you pop over to my website, Fiona's Food for Life. you'll find lots of recipes, videos, inspiration and upcoming courses. Thanks a million.